0: One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Let's pray. God, would you just pour your spirit out this morning? Pour your spirit out on us. Fall fresh today. God, would you open up our hearts to receive you today? um, That we would receive your goodness, that we would receive your purity, and we would receive your life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today is week four in our series, Prepared for an Outpouring, okay, where we're looking at the areas of our life that we need to be preparing if we want to see an outpouring from God's Spirit on our lives, if we want to see it, if we want to see the outpouring that God is doing. And so week one, Luke talked about prayer being the foundation of everything, okay? If we want to see an outpouring, it starts with prayer. Right? It always starts with prayer. In week two, I was up here talking about surrendering our schedules over to Jesus and to his way and to the way that Jesus works. And last week, Luke focused in on preparing and opening your mind, your mind for spiritual outpouring from God. So those are our first three areas. And today we are talking about the heart, preparing your heart. And the first thing I want to do today before we get into all of our scriptures, I want to clarify what we are reading when we see the word heart. Okay? The ancient Greek and the Hebrew, they weren't they weren't quite like our modern context. The heart did not mean the same thing, okay? When we think of the heart, we think of, you know, our emotions or we think of our feelings. For them, you know, what? I'll just let you decide that for yourself, okay? Listen to some of these definitions. The Greek and Hebrew words that we translate to heart. For the Greek We have heart, inner self, mind, whoa, heart and mind in one word, will, desire, and intention. And for the Hebrew, it was heart, inner self, inclination, disposition, determination, courage, will, your intentions, your conscience. I don't know if you see this, but for the authors and the audiences of the scriptures, the heart was not your emotions, your heart was you. Your heart is your inner self, your most truest self, the source of all of your decisions, of everything that you do and everything that you are, it all starts here in your heart. That's what they think. That's that's how they view that word, okay? And we have this phrase in our culture, just follow your heart. We've all heard the phrase, right? Just follow your heart, okay? And for us, I think that's a little bit of a dangerous phrase, for the way that we define heart, because it implies following wherever your immediate temporary emotion or desire that you're experiencing right now, just follow that. No matter what the consequences are, no matter what it brings, just follow what you're feeling right this moment. And often those things are misleading and they lead to negative consequences. However, if you said this exact phrase to the people that wrote the scriptures, if you said, just follow your heart, they'd be like, duh. Of course, you follow your heart because the heart is the source of the decision. It's not the same thing. It's like saying, hey, whatever decision you're going to make, make that one. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's like, it's so redundant. That's a no brainer because that's just the way they thought about the heart. It's not a thing that you can make decisions based on, it is the decision. Your heart is that. Your heart is your will, it is your intention, it is your, your conscience, yourself your most inner and true self. When David said in Psalm 139, he said, search me, God, and know my heart. Know my heart. We've all heard that verse, I'm sure. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's not asking God to search his emotions or his feelings. When he says, search me, God, know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. In me, my inner self, in my heart, see if there's anything that's not like you. He's saying, God, take a good look at my intentions, my motivations, my desires, my inner self, the parts of me that I may not even be able to see, like so far deep that I don't even know that they're there. They're just buried underneath everything else. Search that. Search that, God. Know my heart. Look at my truest self. Are we on the same page with that? What the heart means? Today, we're going to look at what it means to have a prepared heart, a prepared inner self. Prepared inner self. And today, the text that we're going to be using to do that today is Psalm 51. So let's just just get right into it. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. "'Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. "'So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. "'Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, "'yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. "'You taught me wisdom in that secret place. "'Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be made clean. "'Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. "'Let me hear joy and gladness. "'Let the bones you have crushed rejoice.'" Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So the first thing we see here, confession. Okay, in our church today we have forgotten all about confession. We've just like pushed it over to the curb. We've been like, uh, no thanks. Like I won't. I don't need that. Okay. The Protestant church kind of moved away from Catholics. Where are my Catholics at? We got any Catholics in here? Anybody? Anybody grew up Catholic? Yeah. Woo woo um, So. Protestants wanted to move away from that. They're like, I don't want to be with all the traditions and all of the the grossness of it. And so they moved away and just left it completely and settled for this like watered down, like I'm a sinner, Jesus, save me. And then like, but like kind of stopped there. Can we we kind of see that? Like we, we don't really confess. It's not a routine part of our lives. We don't really take it seriously. But friends, confession is the first step to a prepared heart. Confession is your first step to a prepared heart. If you want to have a prepared heart to see an outpouring from God, it starts with confession. Okay, think about it. We've probably all heard the phrase, if you want to solve the problem, the first step is to acknowledge the problem. Acknowledge that you have an issue. You can't solve something that you don't realize is there, that you can't acknowledge is there. And so the first step to purify, to be prepared in our hearts is to acknowledge that there's a problem, right? We can acknowledge our stuff. When we do that, when we, like David, say in our text, I have sinned, I've done bad things, God, I have fallen short, I'm sorry, Lord. When we come in with that repentant confession heart, we see an outpouring. We open ourselves up. When we have the courage to say, God, we need you. Say, God, we trust you. Pope John Paul II, he said this, Confession is an act of honesty and courage, an act of entrusting ourselves beyond sin to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. An act of honesty and courage and vulnerability, giving ourselves over to a God who is happy to receive us. Okay, and I think we can all agree that it takes honesty and courage to do something like that, like a lot of it, okay, because we hate being wrong, right? Does anyone in here like being wrong? No. No. No, we don't like being wrong. We don't like acknowledging that we're incomplete or that we have things to work on. We don't like to admit that, okay? When I was a kid, a teen especially, okay? When I was a teenager, this was especially prevalent. Okay, I asked my mom, she says I was very stubborn. In my stubbornness, I will tell you that she's wrong, okay? (laughs) Kindly, respectfully, incorrect, was not stubborn. Um, But me saying that just reveals my stubbornness, right? Okay, it's definitely true. I was definitely a stubborn teenager. I was convinced that I had arrived in, like, every area of my life. Like, yeah, I've got it all together. I've done all the things. I know all the things. What more is there? Like, bring it on. I'm ready. Like, I know all of it. Okay, I had received lots of different praise in my life, being in the church and and having this very clear call to ministry, received lots of praise for my musicianship, or my knowledge about God and the Bible, or you have this spiritual maturity for your age, and that all went straight here. When I was 16, I was like, heck yeah, I'm spiritually mature. You betcha. I'm super mature. Let's go. Like, come on. Well, I can, I can tell you today, I may have known some things, okay, but I was not spiritually mature. I had zero spiritual maturity. And I can tell you why. It's because I thought I was done. It's because I thought that I was done forming. I was like, oh, I'm finished. Boom, right there. Immediately lost all spiritual maturity. Let me give you a small example. I hated doing chores. Anybody else? Yeah, I hate chores. Um, I, I hated it as a kid. I'll be honest, I still hate it now, but it's a different kind of hate. It's just different, because now I have to do it. Um, Like, I just thought everything was an inconvenience to me. Okay, like everything was just in my way. I was, like, I'm sitting here, and my mom's like, hey, Nick, will you take out the trash? And I'm like, excuse me. I'm watching TV. I'm watching Kindergarten Cop over here, man. Like, I'm busy. Can't you see that I'm busy? I can't go take out the trash right now. I'll get to that later. Like I'll do that later because that's not, that's not convenient to me right now, okay? That was me as a teenager, it was not great, okay? And part of that was my own like ADD and I was like, I couldn't focus on some things and I was hyper focused on other things. Like I couldn't, like you could not pull me away from that even if you wanted to. But a large part of that was simply I didn't want to. I don't wanna do it, okay? That was where I was at, okay? Fast forward, okay? Keep this in mind, fast forward. I finished my first year of college And what an eye-opener that was because I have to take out my own trash, clean my dishes, make my bed, clean my room, put away my laundry. And the only person there to tell me to do it is me. And so those first couple months, they were (laughs) a little rough, (laughs) a little rough, okay? And then I started to realize, oh, no, if I don't clean my dishes, I can't use my dishes. If If I don't take out my trash, I can't use my trash. I can't throw stuff away. Like, how how am I going to do that? I guess I have to do chores. And suddenly I realized my perspective had widened because now it's like, oh, I have to do this. Like, it has to be done or else it will never get done. And so I'm with my family. I have this, you know, experience. And I'm with my family after I, I finished my first year and I see some teenagers not doing their chores when they're told to, and I see them talk back and disrespect their parents. And I'm like, bro, it's not that hard. Just do your chores. And I'm like, (laughs) that was me. I was like, no, like, oh, plot twist. I'm the problem. Oh my gosh. Like, whoa, what is is going on? It wasn't my mom. She wasn't nagging? What? Like, it's crazy to me. It was so eye-opening. And I had a Zoom call a little bit later with a close professor of mine because, you know, COVID. So we had a Zoom call. And I'm telling him about it. And I'm like, this is just crazy, like this eye-opening experience. And he was like, this is what he said. I just love this. He said, it's amazing how with each phase of life, your perspective will open just a little bit more. Okay. I'm sure you can all agree that as as each year passes, you get a little bit more perspective than you had the year before. And he shared the example of how a toddler will, will fall apart when they spill their lemonade. He's like, World over, reality crashes, game over. The, the lemonade is spilled, there's no point in living anymore. The lemonade's gone. Like, what are you going to do? And, and he said, but for them, that is their whole day. That is the worst part of their day because there's not a whole lot much happening in the life of a toddler. He said, but as you get older and your view of the world gets bigger and your problems get bigger, suddenly spilled lemonade isn't quite the worst thing that could happen in your life. It's still bad, it's still terrible. Oh, spilled lemonade is a tragedy. But it's not the worst thing. There are worse things. And we might have experienced those worse things. But he said, Nick, you have to realize that with each phase of life, getting married, having kids, sending your kids to college, your kids getting married, becoming a grandparent, et cetera, all of the life stages, with all of these phases of life, your perspective will become wider and you start to see what you couldn't see before. And he's like, that's what's happening here. You're seeing what you couldn't see before. And so in that season, I realized right there, I realized it was foolish for me to think that I was complete. That was when it clicked in me that I wasn't spiritually mature. I said, oh my gosh, there's so much left to learn. There's a lot. It was foolish for me to think that I had no faults because I would always be learning, always gaining new insight and perspective on my own shortcomings, and in that, gaining new insight and perspective on the character of God with each phase of life. Okay, like when I got married, I gained understanding of my selfishness. We can all admit that, right? Yes, like don't you, don't you play with me. You found out that you were selfish when you got married, if you were married, Okay. I found my selfishness, but you know what else I understood? I understood God's humility and his selflessness, his forgiveness, and his sacrifice. And I learned that character trait that I couldn't really understand. I couldn't really grasp it before. When I had a child, I I gained my understanding of my own irritability, my own frustration. But I also learned the love of the Father. Because i look at my little girl and i'm like i just love you so much light bulb that's how god loves me you could do no wrong i could just love you no matter what you do that's how god loves me see as i gained understanding of myself i gained understanding of god and so in that season after my freshman year of college i gained a new understanding of my hardened heart a heart that thought it was done forming and god's ability to forgive and then continue forming me in spite of my own heart, heart. Right at the end of that quote from Pope John Paul, okay, just bringing it back a little bit, he said, trusting ourselves to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. Let's not forget who we're talking to, a God who welcomes us in, a God who wants to keep forming you. Okay, let's, let's use clay as an analogy, okay? I have, two, I have two things of clay up here. One of them is, is hard and it's It's as if it's a finished product. It's obviously not, because I'm no artist. Um, But I want you to imagine that this is like a finished product. Okay, when clay is finished, it has to be hardened. Think of like a clay bowl. If the bowl would change every time you touched it, it's not a very good bowl. Like, no, like it has to be finished. So this is hardened. It's It's not forming anymore. But this over here, this, this is soft. I can tear it apart. I can put it back together. Like, I can mold it to whatever I want it to be. Right? Friends, confession is the difference between a hardened heart and a softened one. One that says, I'm finished. I'm done forming. There is nothing left to do. And one that says, nope, I'm not complete yet. I'm still forming. I'm still working on it. I'm still getting there. A hardened heart doesn't let people in. It's closed off. See, I can't do anything to this. It believes that it's finished just the way it is. We see pride, we see defensiveness, an unwillingness to change. Do you know anybody like that? Are you like that? When you get in an argument, are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to be the one that backs down? When you see something wrong in your life, are you willing to change or do you push it off and say, it can't be me, somebody else is having a problem here? Obviously, it's someone else's issue. It's not mine. Because that's what we see in a softened heart. In a softened heart, we see a heart that's willing to say, I'm, I'm not done forming yet. I can confess that. Willing to say, oh, I didn't see the whole picture. I'm still gaining perspective. Let me tell you another story about my own hardened heart. <laughs> when I was in high school, I joined band for my, my last semester, just because, just um, because I had a, a free period, and I was like, oh, band meets at this time? I'm going to go play some drums and some percussion stuff. That'll be fun. That'll be a good use of my time. And if you know anything about, you know, band stereotypes, it's an eclectic group. It is... Um, there, there are some things with them. Jake over here is nodding his head. He was in band. He was a band kid. Um, he knows. He's like, he's like, yeah, it's an eclectic group. There, there are some things that just come along with that, especially when you've never been in it. You have the, like a stereotype in your head of what a band kid is like, okay? You just do. And you walk in, and I will confess, this was a moment that I saw my hardened heart because I walked into this group and found friendships that were very valuable. I found people that cared about who I was. I found people that came to me and were like, oh my gosh, we're so glad you're here. And I was like, I'm I'm more welcomed here than I am in my youth group, man. Like, this is great. This is crazy. They love me. Like, this is so much fun. And suddenly I had realized that I thought wrong about them. That I thought they were outsiders or I thought they were this, I thought they were that. But in reality, they were something different. One thing that I'll never forget is that In that one semester, our band director, he had a phrase that he always said. Always, always, always. He like just into our brain. I will never forget it. He would make us say it all the time. He would say, I am a work in progress. This community was so welcoming because they were a community that acknowledged daily, I am a work in progress. The person with that softened heart is willing to say that. I am a work in progress. I'm still forming. To say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. We see a humility, an openness to feedback. When things are, when you do something, it's like, oh yeah, I can receive feedback and not get hurt about it because I'm still forming. I just have a simple desire to grow, to keep forming. A softened heart is one that acknowledges the reality that we're never finished learning. We're never finished forming. Saying, I don't have a heart like yours, Jesus. I don't have one. And I can say that. I can truthfully say, I don't have a heart like yours, Jesus. But that isn't the end of confession. Listen to what Pope Francis says about it. You know, it's funny that Protestant Christianity was like, let's move away from the Catholics. But they have all the best quotes about confession. It's crazy. Um, The popes have the good stuff, okay? Listen to this. In confession, Jesus welcomes us with all of our sinfulness to give us a new heart capable of loving as he loves confession is that admission of being a work in progress but where does that leave us it leaves us wanting to keep being in progress to keep moving forward to keep forming it's like you know what it's like we're this bottle of water okay we're this bottle of water and god's like here let me fill you up god's this pitcher and he's like let me fill you up with water this is obviously empty okay i've drank all this water and it's like oh let me fill you up and we're like nah i'm not empty That's the hardened heart in us. We're like, no, I'm not empty. See? But God God is looking at reality, and he's like, I'm not buying it. Like, uh, Like, let's be real here. Let's just be honest with each other. It's not what's going on. It's not fooling him. And that's what's crazy about confession, is that God already sees this. God already sees that you're still forming, that you don't have it all together, that you are not complete. And yet he still invites you. He says, come to me, share that with me, and I will make you complete. He is happy to receive us. Because confession is more about us being honest with ourselves than just being honest with God. Yes, it's about being honest with God, saying, God, I don't have it all together, but guess who that impacts more? You or him? He already knows. You're the one that needs to become like this. When we are willing to acknowledge our lacking, we open ourselves up to his filling. When we say, yes, I'm lacking. When we say, yes, I'm not, I'm not empty. So I trust you enough to open up the cap and let you fill me. When we acknowledge I'm lacking, fill me. We open it ourselves up. And now he's like, yes, absolutely. I wanna pour my spirit out on you. <laughs> when we are willing to acknowledge our lacking, we open ourselves up to his feeling. We say, Jesus, I don't have a heart like yours, but I want one. I don't love like you do, but I want to. I want to love like you. I want to be like you. We say, God, I'm not complete. I am not pure yet, but I desire to be. And so when we allow ourselves to be soft, and moldable like clay in progress, we are perfectly set up then to invite the hands of God to continue to form us, to continue to purify and make us new. Confession perfectly sets us up for inward renewal. Let's keep moving on. Let's just look at what David says next in verse 10. Created me a pure heart, O God, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that you, God, will not despise. Create in me a purer heart. I know the, purity, the word purity probably brings up a variety of thoughts and feelings for some of you. For some of us, Purity and purity culture has become a toxic, a very hurtful topic that we don't like to think about that only left us in shame when it was through with us. But I want you, if you are those people, I want to invite you to rethink that word this morning. To rethink it just a little bit. Maybe it's not that bad. Theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he said this, he said, Purity of heart is to will one thing. That's what purity is. Purity is to will one thing. If your heart is your will, a pure heart is to will one thing. When we say, God, purify my heart, we are, we are asking God to reset us. Reset me back to the one thing that I should have been set on all along, and that's him. Reset me to will You. After confessing and being real and honest about where we are, we ask God to purify us, to renew us. And I'm convinced that a purified heart is a prepared heart. A heart that is purified, a heart that wills one thing is a prepared heart, a heart that is prepared for an outpouring from God. Because if we look at our life, our whole life, we like to compartmentalize everything and say, I have my spiritual life, I have my home life, my work life, all these different things. We don't experience life that way. We have one life. We experience life as one whole big picture. And when we say, with that whole life, I just want one thing. And that is the kingdom of God made manifest here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. When we make the words of Matthew six thirty three our prayer, may I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, I just want you. Nothing else. That's the one thing. Then our inner selves are now open Right, We've opened our inner selves, and we've prepared to whatever the Spirit wants to do. We're prepared for an outpouring. We're saying, God, my inner self is not complete, but I desire for you to pour, pour your Spirit out on me. I'm ready. I'm open. I'm prepared. Bring it. Bring your Spirit. Make me more like you. And here's where the rubber meets the road for most Christians. Most Christians focus on the actions at some point. Focus on what are you doing? But God doesn't just want us to do the things that he did. That's not, all, that's not, that's not the, the point of all of this. It's not to do good things and just leave it at that. Because if our hearts are our inner selves, if your heart is the deepest part of you, the realist part of you, then a pure heart is not just our actions, but the very motivations behind them. Right? That was one of the definitions of heart. Motivation. God doesn't just want your decisions. He wants your decision maker. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. God isn't just looking for the good deeds. He's not just looking for the actions that will get you your stamp. He's looking for your heart. He wants to be the source of the decisions. To purify your heart is not to purify your actions, but to purify your very being. That your motivation would be pure, set on one thing, the kingdom of God, the love of God, and the love of neighbor. That we would love not out of obligation, but out of true heart change, out of true inner self change. I don't know about you guys, but for me, there are a lot of people that I've had in my life that I didn't like so much. And I was like, ah, but I'm a Christian, so I'll love them. Said that? Yes, you've said that. Guaranteed you've said it. And what you mean when you say that, when you say, yeah, I'll love them because I'm a Christian, is not that you want to love them. No, instead, it's a, I'll be nice to them. I won't say anything mean to their face. And if I, talk, if I talk bad about them behind their back, I'll only say it to the people that are closest to me. Because I'm just ranting. Ranting's not the same as gossiping, so I'm clear. I'm good. <laughs> right? You're laughing because you know it's true. You've all done it. But God isn't just like, hey, don't gossip. And then because you talked to your spouse about it instead of everybody else, then it's like, okay, they're in the clear, they're good. They didn't sin. Woohoo! They're like, we're asking how much we can get away with. But if you're asking that question, you've missed the point. Good. Thank you. <laughs> you've missed the point. Because a pure heart wills one thing, and that's the kingdom of God. The goal is not to love out of obligation, but to just actually love people. Imagine that. Imagine that, that God can take your heart, that God can take this, when you let it be moldable, that he can say, you know what, I'll actually make it so you love everybody. I'll actually make that a reality for you. I'll make that true, that you can go to people and say, man, I genuinely desire to be with them because I want to make them know that they are loved and they are seen by God. I hope for the best for their life. I hope this, that you actually have love like that. That's the goal is that it starts in here and then works outward. God wants to purify your heart, your inner self. Notice what David says in in verse 16. David touched on this exactly. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God doesn't just want your actions, just like he didn't want just the sacrifices. David's like, yeah, I could give you a sacrifice, but you won't want that, so I'll give you my heart instead. He wants the heart behind your actions. God doesn't look at you and see a list of things you've done. God looks at you and sees you. God sees his creation. He sees a soul. David says, my sacrifice is a broken, repentant heart, a repentant inner self that desires to be clean, renewed, and purified. Our theme verse for 2023 is Joel 2.13. Listen to this. It's right on the nose of what we're talking about. Starting in verse 12, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. If you don't know what rend means, rend is, uh, is to tear. They would tear their garments when uh, they were feeling extreme emotion, like lamenting. Or if, the, if someone would blaspheme and say, say, uh, speak against the name of God, then they would tear their clothes out of anger, out of righteous anger, and out of respect and love for their God. And they'd say, no, you can't do that. And what God is saying through the prophet Joel here, what he's saying, he's like, you can do that all you want, but I don't want that. I want your heart. Don't you tear your clothes, tear your heart. Tear your inner self. I don't want the sacrifices, I want you. I don't want these obligatory actions, this list of things to get into heaven, I want you. Purity of heart is to will one thing. For us to have a pure heart, it's to want God alone. But guess what? God has a pure heart and the one thing he wants is you. God has the purest of hearts, and he just wants you. Rend your hearts, not your garments. That's why purity culture is so harmful. That's why it's it's hurt so many people. It's because it focuses on actions and making the right choices. Do the right things. Do this, do this, do this, resulting in shame, sin management. It doesn't lead to any real love or devotion toward the spirit of God. It's just to solve, solve these things that you're doing and just leave it at that. Just don't do them. But confession, a repentant heart, a repentant inner self, is a desire to be purified from the inside out. That leads to soul transformation. Soul transformation. Look at the last two verses of our passage. Look what happens. May it please you to prosper Zion to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Suddenly the sacrifices are like, great. Suddenly God's like, yay, sacrifices. It's like two verses ago, God was not into that. God was not into the sacrifices, but now he is. What? Like, make that make sense. It's that word then. It starts in here. It says, I give you a repentant heart. then you will delight in my sacrifices. Then you will delight in these works. In the sacrifices of the who? The righteous. Those who have been purified. Those who desire purification. He will delight in the actions that are born out of a purified heart that is set on him. That's what he delights in. Scholars believe that those last two verses about the sacrifices were actually added later. Like, hundreds of years later, and that someone just added those in. And for some people, that's a problem. They're like, whoa, you can't do that. Like, I'm not even, I'm just going to throw the whole thing away. Like, no good. But I actually think that I like it more if that's the case. Because now those last two verses are not from David. They're from someone who has a widened perspective. We said earlier that with time, you learn more. Your perspective gets wider the person that could be writing this looks back because you know what the one thing that they, that they have that David didn't? The rest of David's life. And they look back on it and they say, oh my gosh, we gave God our hearts and look what happened. Look at the outpouring of God's spirit. Jerusalem's walls built up, Zion prospered. The sacrifices were given up out of purity. It's no wonder that Jesus said on his sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They saw God. They said, oh my gosh, we gave this part of ourselves and God took it and did something with it. A purified heart is a prepared heart. A heart that looks back and says, look at all that God has done. I was able to experience it all. Church, I don't say all of this this stuff about confession and, and giving all of yourselves to Jesus as like a slap on the hand. That's not what we're doing today. That's not what we're about. We're not about slapping your hand. Instead, I am voicing an invitation to you, an invitation that has been graciously given by God to renew you today. God is inviting you this morning to prepare your heart for an outpouring of his spirit. This is not a call to just change your actions. This is an invitation to change your heart to start inside and work your way out. And you accept that invitation by confession, admitting that you need him, becoming soft and moldable, asking God to make you new, to set your heart on one thing, to become Psalm 27 that we read at the very beginning. says, only this one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He did not say, I hope that I see God after I die. No, he said, this is my one desire, that I would gaze on the beauty of God, that I would see the Holy Spirit moving every single day of my life. For the rest of my life, I want to see God. I want to see you. Open up my eyes, Lord. I want to see you every day of my life. And this invitation to step into that is for everybody. It's for everybody. Because you were designed to be filled with the Spirit. I saw I an saw Instagram reel recently of a sermon. And the guy was talking about, he said, how did Jesus love people so well? How did Jesus... Have compassion while also saying truth. How did did Jesus do all of these things? The answer, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was in union with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The same Holy Spirit that made Jesus complete is the Spirit that wants to fill you and make you complete. It's the same Spirit. And you were designed to live into that. So this invitation is for everybody. We believe here at this church that no one is too far from God to experience life change in Jesus. Nobody. And in this case, no one is too far from God to confess and be purified by the Holy Spirit. It is not too late. It is never too late. I don't care what you have done. I do not care. It is not too late. It is never too late to accept the Spirit's invitation to be purified. If you've been a Christian for your whole life, Some of you have been Christians forever, but you've never actually given him the time of day. You've actually never given him your inner self. Guess what? It's not too late. You've never stepped foot in a church, maybe. And you have a really crazy past. It's messy and ugly, and you have a whole lot of baggage. It's not too late. Heck, even if it isn't that far in your past, some of you might have gambled your life savings away yesterday. I don't know. Some of you have a porn addiction right now. Guess what? It's not too late. Some of you have pride that you are wrestling with, ego that you're wrestling with, that you're just like, man, I, I view myself as higher above everybody else. It's deep-rooted. It's not too late. If you're greedy and you are selfish and you take and you take and you take and you only think about yourself, guess what? It's not too late. It's not. Man, look at the guy who wrote this. You want to know about this guy? Okay? Okay. <laughs> David wrote this psalm. You want to know what, what, what inspired him to write this word of God? Let's go. You want to know what inspired him? He had an affair with a woman that he saw on the roof of a building from his super fancy palace. <laughs> he's sitting up there doing his thing. He sees a girl and he's like, wow, I want her. Bring her to me. Boom, he has her. There's in, this is my own interpretation of this, but I think, I don't think she wanted it. I think it was the king, and he said, this is what's happening. And she said, I I have no choice. So let's look at it like that. Let's say David forced this. And then after she got pregnant, in order to cover it up, he killed her husband. We've got a murderer and a rapist right here. That's a man after God's own heart. It's not too late. He did this, and then he said, it's not too late. The church tradition looks back on him and says, that's a man after God's own heart. They never say that's a man with God's heart. Mm -mm, No, no, that definitely is not the case, but it's a man who wants it. It's a man who wants it because he did that terrible, disgusting, inhumane, unjust thing, and it was awful, and he went to God and said, wow, I'm not like you, God, and I want to be he realized, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I'm not finished forming. So God, form me. Let's just reread that passage. This is no surface level or obligatory confession just so we could get a stamp to heaven, okay? This is real remorse. Just listen to this. Have mercy on me, oh God. I've done a really bad thing. According to your unfailing love, I know that you love unfailingly your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity, all of the bad stuff I've done. Cleanse me from this sin. For I know my transgressions. I know, and my sin is always before me. I'll always be thinking about this. This will never, this will never leave my brain, the things that I've done. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict. You are justified when you judge. When you deal it out to me, that's it. I deserve it. I'm sinful. I don't have what it takes. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, God, and I will be clean. I know you can do it. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. I just want to hear that. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. God invites you today, wherever you are, wherever you've been, whoever you are, whoever you've been, God does not care what was back then. God cares today. God extends an invitation to be purified right now. He invites you to give all of yourself, your inner self, to give your innermost being, your desires, your intentions, your motivations, all of it, to say, God, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. To acknowledge today that you are a work in progress, big or small. You might have some things that you don't see that they're just a little tiny things and you're like, I'm not a big deal. You're a work in progress. You know what, can we just say that together over ourselves? Let's just say that together. I am a work in progress. I am a work in progress. I don't know about you, but for me, saying that over myself is so humbling. Like vocalizing that, letting that go out of my brain, and just like saying, Yeah, I'm a work in progress. I'm I'm incomplete. And so my pride that I have is misplaced. I'm not perfect, I don't always see the whole picture, I'm wrong sometimes, and that's okay because I'm still being formed. There's no shame in being moldable. There's no shame in being formed and having sin and having all of these things in your life. You know why? Because you're a work in progress. This is reality, this is what you are. There's no shame in being purified. The Lord is calling us this morning as a community, not just individually, but as a community to be purified. Oh, I would love to see this church be purified. Do you want to know what a community of purified hearts looks like? It looks like heaven. You want to know what a city full of purified hearts looks like? It looks like heaven. Think of everything who God is. That's what it looks like. Don't you want to see that? Don't you want to gaze on the beauty of God's face all the days of your life to look at a community around you and say, oh my gosh, I see God. I see the love of God. It starts with confession. To acknowledge our shortcomings, our incompleteness, and then invite him into it. If you're on the prayer team, I I encourage you, please go to the prayer room to be available for people because I want to open this up church, we have people who want to pray with you, who would love to listen to you. They don't even have to say anything. You can just sit there and talk. And they're there to listen. They're great listeners. Or if you have people that are close to you, that you want to confess to, that's great for relationship building right there. You want, you want to build a relationship, you want to trust someone, give that part of yourself. Yeah, that'll build it. We also have a paper shredder which if we could get that outside of the room, if we could put the paper shredder right outside, we, we had this during the week of 24-7 prayer, where we had a sin bin, where you write your sins on a piece of paper and you put it in the shredder as a reminder of the slate being wiped clean, of God saying, this is it. It's there, it's gone, move on, move forward, be purified, be formed. Whatever it looks like for you today, I encourage you, I invite you to accept that invitation from God. To confess, to acknowledge and repent the, inner, the parts of your inner self that are not like Jesus. Whatever it is that isn't like Jesus in you, confess it and be formed in it. And if you don't know what those areas are, ask God to search you. There's no shame in that either. Why do you think David prayed in Psalm 139, search me and know my heart? You can pray that prayer today. Search me and know my heart. Reveal any offensive way in me. Reveal anything that's not like you. And if you are in this room today and you are not a believer, you are not a follower of Jesus, that's the biggest confession right there. (laughs) To confess that I am not filled and I want to be. I don't have a heart that is pure like God, but I want one. We invite you to make that step. Whatever your next step is, take that. Whatever the next step is in your progress as a work in progress, take that step. Don't keep going on with a hardened heart that can't do anything anymore. It's not useful. It's running on empty. And it will never get filled unless you open it up. It will never get filled. Allow God to mold you form you and shape you into a work of art, a work of art designed by the love and grace of God, designed by the hands of a God who loves you. Become a work of art. Father, we thank you. Father, we repent. We repent of the ways that we have fallen short. We repent of the ways that we are not like you, God. We know that they're there. We are not like you. We are not as good, we are not as pure, we are not as loving, we are not as holy as you, God. You are holier than we could ever imagine. But Lord, this morning to you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. Let your fire, your purifying fire, fall down and purify our hearts. Make us new. Make us clean, Jesus. Make us clean. We desire more. We desire your presence. We desire your spirit. We desire to see a city that is identical to the kingdom of God. And that starts today, Jesus. That starts today with us acknowledging our sin, acknowledging our shortcomings. And so we repent. Would you meet us here again and would you mold our hearts to be like yours? Shape us this morning, Father. Lord, if there's any hesitation, if there is a reserved soul in here that doesn't want to take the step, they're nervous about taking that step, God, would you remind them that you are a compassionate, loving, merciful, forgiving God who accepted a man like David to come back. Maybe we be reminded of life change for someone like David or someone like Saul who killed people, killed Christians, and then turned around and wrote half the New Testament. God, that could happen here today. We could see lives transformed here today. Would you remind us that it starts right here? Just wipe away every reservation, every hesitation. We give you our hearts this morning, Father. In Jesus' name.